0: Good morning, morning. if I haven't met you yet, my name's Wilson, I am uh, a pastor here that's in training, official title is curate, it's a Latin word, so you know, no one knows what it means, Um, but really good to be with you here this morning. If you've got your Bibles uh, with you, turn back to our New Testament reading, which was the letter of 1 John, it's this little letter that's right at the end of the Bible, so use your table of contents if you'd like, if you've got to Revelation, you've gone too far, Um, this letter is really famous. It's got some very famous kind of statements in it. Probably the most famous one is, God is love. Most people have heard that before. But really, in order to understand this letter, uh, you have to understand the way that John sees the world. And that's really the case with any sort of argument or, or writing that any, anyone's making, if the person has a basically pessimistic view of the world, that's, that's going to color the lens through which you see what they're saying. Or if they have a primarily optimistic view of the world, that'll, that'll color that lens. Um, John has this idea that we are living in a period of world history where there are two ages that are overlapping each other at the same time. One age is old and it's covered in darkness one age is new, and the light is already shining in it. Again, let me say, this is a real period in world history that John is referring to. This time of overlapping ages, though, is transient. The old age of darkness is passing away already, and the new age will continue forever. Okay, that's 4,000 feet right to start. Let's, uh, let's come down to earth. John's a pastor, and he's a good one. He writes his letter to a group of churches that are hurting. Um, best we can tell from this letter, a couple of things are going on. Uh, the churches seem to have been hearing competing gospel messages, which you can just imagine how confusing that would be uh, if someone was giving one sort of message one week, and then the next week a guy said something completely different that just contradicted what you heard the week before. Um, And it also seems like there's some serious kind of rifts and divisions going on in the church. There's a real lack of love that people have for each other. And these things threaten the very life and vitality of the churches that John is overseeing, that he's concerned for. So John, being a good pastor, doesn't do a lot of polemicizing in this letter. Instead, he pushes his people back into love for each other, obedience to God, and faith. Now, at what point do we not need to hear a message like that? Our issues may be really different, so we hear consistent good preaching every week, hopefully including this one. Um, from what I can tell, this, this church, I've been here about four months, uh, four or five months, and from what I can tell already, this church really loves each other. Um, but I don't think anyone needs convincing that the darkness is rumbling overhead. Sometimes it does not feel like the darkness is passing away. Sometimes it feels like the world is absolutely awash in darkness. And John's message here refreshes and restores. I, I love the way that the Apostle John writes. This is the same John that wrote the Gospel of John. Um, it's, I've always loved it. it. It's also very frustrating for uh, trying to structure a sermon because <laughs> John is not linear. Um, he's more like a potter at a wheel. Like his argument sort of comes around and around and he's shaping this piece of art for you. And what he's shaping today in this passage that we just read is this foundational principle of love. And he's pushing us back onto it. The darkness is not the end of the story. The light already shines. The light of Christ has broken into the world. And what does that mean? It means we fall back on the foundation of love. So there are three features of this I'm going to sketch out, Uh, and I'm going to follow John, so it's not going to be exactly like step one, two, three, but we're at the potter's wheel. We're going to kind of shape something today. We're going to shape a picture of what it looks like to fall back on the foundations of love. So three things are this. First, love one another. Second, rest assured in God's love. And third, channel your love in the right direction. So, love one another, rest assured in the love of God, and channel your love rightly. Okay, first, love one another. Uh, okay, this is, this is so painfully obvious, right? It's so inoffensive sounding to our ears that you might wonder uh, what we even have to really say about it. Like, no one's going to get mad that we're in here talking about loving each other today. Um, but this commandment, to love one another, though it's so familiar, has a Fullness that has been lost. And that fullness is Christ. Okay, let me explain. Look, look back at verses seven through eight. Um, you'll see in those verses what, what Joetta just read so well, I was like weeping. Um, you'll see that this commandment to love one another is old, and yet it's new. For one, God has been telling us to love each other forever, ever since the beginning. This is what we read in the Leviticus reading. It was spelling out what it looks like to love your neighbor in that context, real concrete kind of ways, what fairness looked like, consideration for the poor, the posture of the heart. So clearly, love one another is a very old commandment, but the gravitas comes when we realize just how new this commandment is as well. In some ways, it's also a novelty, a new commandment I'm writing to you. That phrase sounds a lot like our gospel reading, and so it should. The same gospel that John wrote, Jesus said there, a new commandment that I give to you, that you love one another. And here's the kicker. Just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. For ages past, this commandment has been an ideal. And now with Jesus, it is a reality. It's a reality that's been sparked into existence by Jesus. God himself in the flesh, living it out in earthy, real-time ways loving human beings on ground level. And what Jesus and his apostle John say is that because he did that, now we are capable of it like never before. The command to love one another belongs specifically to Jesus's kingdom of light. Verse 8, his realm, the true light which is shining already. This is so much so that John can say then in verse 9, whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother... Is still in darkness. So, whatever you profess to believe, it can be tossed out the window if you don't love your brothers and sisters. The new commandment is so foundational to Christianity that whatever we're doing without it cannot be called Christianity. Love one another, it's it's foundational. Um, I read this article a couple of years ago that I still haven't forgotten. It uh, It was about Mr. Rogers, Fred Rogers. Um, and it, what, the title of the article was What Would Mr. Rogers Do? Uh, it was kind of saying, like, in this, in this moment, we no longer have the voice of Fred Rogers. Like, what would he be doing right now? What, what would he say about Donald Trump and Twitter and, uh, and polarization, which the writer of the article said, polarization is just the discovery that we don't like our neighbors very much when we find out what they have to say on social media. Um, and he said, the easy answer, what would Mr. Rogers do, is that it's impossible to know because he was from a different world, an alien one. We, so we love Fred Rogers. Uh, there's been a Mr. Rogers documentary that's come out recently. There's a Tom Hanks movie. Uh, we love him for good reason. He was a very gifted, for sure. But all he did, and this is what the article was saying basically for the, for the whole time, all he did was work very hard at something very simple. And that's loving people, like like everyone. And it shocked the world. So I got, I've got to read you just one more, one more part of this. Um, the, the writer of the article said, in his friendship with Fred Rogers, he only heard him really talk about politics once. It was in an email, and it was right after the, the big um, Clinton impeachment and the scandal of all of that. Um, and so let me just read you the email that, that Fred Rogers wrote. He said, Last week, after the impeachment happened, last week I woke up thinking how I would like to go on the air and say something like, whoever is without sin, cast the first stone, or the Lord's property is always to have mercy, or some other outlandish thing, and then ask for a minute of silence to think about forgiveness for those who want it. In fact, if our country could dwell on forgiveness for a while, I think that would be the one real positive outcome of the pain which must be pervasive in the White House and beyond. I've already written letters to both the Clintons and the Gores, I love that, saying that often enormous growth comes out of enormous pain. I trust that will be so for all of us. That attitude which makes me sometimes physically sick is the holier-than-thou one. True, to actually love each other is otherworldly because it belongs to a new creation that burst on the scene 2,000 years ago. Love really did come from another, from another world 2,000 years ago, and it was so foreign that we had no idea what to do with it and tried to snuff it out. When this happens on earth, like, we can feel it. Now, how is it, that, how is it that Jesus makes this possible? How is he the fullness of the command? How is he not just another good example? Fred Rogers is awesome, but at the end of the day, he's just a great example to try and follow. How is Jesus not just a, he's a great example, follow him, if if that works for you, that's great, but there are other good ways to live too. Jesus specifically makes this possible because of the fact of his bringing a new kingdom of light over against the realm of darkness and sin 2,000 years ago. And what John says is either we are walking around in this kingdom of light or we are walking around in the darkness and are not sure where we're going at all. There's not a lot of gray area there. Sin and love stand in opposition to each other. Look back at verse 10. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there's no cause for stumbling. No cause for stumbling. That's another way of talking about sin. In contrast, look at verse 11. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Why Why does love turn us away from sin and darkness. It's because love by definition moves us away from a self-centered existence. Sin, on the other hand, always turns us inward on ourselves. And to be freed from sin is something that only Jesus can do. It means being free from the self-obsession. Love always turns outward, toward God, toward other people. So, The way to start loving one another, to live into this command is to run to Jesus. The way. His death freed us from self-obsession and gives us the power to actually turn and focus on each other. Fall back on the foundation of love. Love one another. But, that's not all. We also must rest assured in God's love. So, we just came out of some heavy stuff. John just said, whoever hates his brother is walking in darkness. And even before this, in the first chapter, if you flip back earlier, <clears throat> he says more kind of stuff that sounds like that. If we say we have fellowship with God, but walk in the dark, we lie and do not practice the truth. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. We make God a liar, okay? But very heavy stuff. We're drawing sharp lines between light and dark, and I would suggest that anyone who really thinks about this for any length of time or has tried this on will naturally then say, What about me? Like, am I walking around in the dark? What's going on? And John's a good pastor. He anticipates that here, which is where you get this, this section in 12 through 14, this this set of that's versified uh, in your Bible. And there's all sorts of debate here. What like, why does why does John repeat himself? Why does he say children, fathers, young men. Why does he just say it again? All that kind of stuff. I'll tell you why John repeats himself. Um, I, you know, I was looking at all sorts of commentaries and stuff and was talking to Callie about this. She figured it out in two seconds, my wife. Um, She said, yeah, have you ever seen Goodwill Hunting? I'm like, yeah. Uh, It's like, you know, at the end of that, when Robin Williams is talking to um, Matt Damon, and he says, it's not your fault. And Matt Damon says, yeah, I know. No, it's not your fault. Yeah, I know. It's not your fault. And does that about eight times. And after the eighth time, Matt Damon is weeping and it's the big, like, he finally broke through this this impenetrable person. John repeats it because, man, you just got to marinate in this for a little bit. Children, your sins are forgiven. Yeah, no, I know. I know there's forgiveness of sins. No, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. You know the Father. You have overcome the evil one. You're not walking around in the dark. John calls all of his readers children several times in this letter, and I think that's what he does here. He calls us children again, and then he covers the whole gambit of the church, whether you're physically older in age or younger, or whether you're a mature Christian or you just became a Christian, all right, there's something here for you. In short, he tells you the same thing rest assured in God's love. And he shows us that we complement each other. To the more mature or the older Christian, you possess a deep knowledge of God that can only come with time and experience. And the church needs that. To the younger, to the newer Christian, you've got a zeal, you've got an energy, that, that fresh awareness of forgiveness of sins that is needed. This is foundational. We rest assured in God's love. We absolutely can't forget that, or we'll be crippled in trying to go out and live the Christian life. This is, resting assured in God's love is, is very practical and impacts our day to day. So Hannah Whitall smith has this great image that I've, that I've always kind of fallen back on. She says, if you're trying to mow a straight line, um, if you're always looking backward on what you've been doing, you'll never mow a straight line. You have to fix on something in front of you and then you'll be able to go straight. It's a great image. You have to rest assured in God's love. You have to have that anchor before your eyes so that we can go out and we can love each other and live the rest of the Christian life. It's possible to, to move through trying to follow Jesus miserable and lacking all assurance. And that's a, that's a quick ticket to being ineffective. And so at the end of the day, we fall back on what God has done. He's forgiven our sins. He's made us innocent as children. He's revealed himself to us. I mean, that's a mind-blowing fact. We would have no idea who God is or what he's done if he hadn't communicated to us who he is and who we are. In him, we overcome the evil one. John uses the perfect tense there, a little grammar fun fact. You have overcome the evil one. There's a daily fight going on, but the verdict isn't really up for grabs. It's done. In Christ, it is finished. Fall back on the foundation of love. Love one another. Rest assured in God's love. And now, follow John and fill out the rest of the picture. Human beings love. It's what we do. And we channel that love towards something, and it drives us with all the force and energy of life day in and day out. There's a great book that I love that's called You Are What You Love. Buy it if you want. It's really helpful, but the money's in the title right there. You are what you love. (laughs) The key then is to channel our love in the right direction. And this is the last kind of feature we'll look at. Verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, John is not suddenly contradicting the sort of things that are all over the rest of the Bible, right? His own gospel that he wrote said, for God so loved the world. This is not a new topic. Um, remember, John doesn't think in a, it, or doesn't write in a linear sort of fashion. We're actually coming back to this idea that sin and love are in opposition to each other. Do not love the world or the things in the world. It connects directly back to the earlier commandment to love one another. If we love the things in the world, it by definition means that we do not love the Father, nor do we really love each other. And again, that sounds extreme. Not a lot of great going on here. John, so black and white. But look, look how he describes the things of the world, verse 16. He describes it as the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life which is like ostentatious, showy kind of materialism, is what that means. Or your version may say pride and possessions. This language, desires of flesh, desires of the eyes, pride of life, that is not the language of self-giving love, but of self-indulgence. Actually gobbling up people and things. Remember how we said that sin turns us inward. Augustine had this this phrase, in cravatus in se. I don't know Latin, but I've always remembered that phrase because of just how it sounds. The curving inward on the self. We don't enjoy the good gifts of God or enjoy people, but when we're curved inward on ourselves, we use those things. We gobble up people and things to satisfy a craving, and that isn't love. Self-indulgence, sexual immorality, greed all have self at the center, not God, not other people. Um, And these these verses sound out of fashion today, but isn't this what has got us in trouble? Gobbling up wealth, power, status, the need to be right, to be seen to be the one carrying the flag of righteousness. These verses, they might sound out of fashion, but John looks the darkness right in the face and says, no, don't channel your love in that direction. That's a dead world and it's passing away. Don't communicate that you, that you love the world by participating in this. Channel your love to the giver of all good things. Psalm 19, one of my favorite psalms, says this, the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. Jesus will pull us out of the tortured inward curve and lead you by the hand into the land of the living. And so we fall back on the foundation of love. And what do we find there when we do that? We find what John says just two chapters later. God is love. Why why is God love? It's because all of these things ultimately come from him. He frees us from the inward curve. He is the hunger of our hearts. He is where we are made to channel our love, our dedication, our desire. He is the place where we finally rest assured. He is the power behind it. He's the initiator. He is the goal. The darkness is fading away and the light already shines. Fall back on the foundation of love. Love one another. Rest assured in God's love. Channel your love in the right direction. These things are foundational. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are, you are love. Lord, I pray that you would lift up Jesus. I pray that we would see him. I pray that you would capture our hearts again and help us fall back on this foundation that you have given us. You are so good. In Jesus' name, amen.